Hi everyone, welcome to STEPS audio channel. We are very excited to share our content from STEPS events to learn all about the latest trends in startups, digital media, fintech, future tech, and wellness in emerging markets. You can find us on Enagami, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. Make sure to subscribe to your favorite channel and we hope you enjoy the content. All right, so I think we can have everyone here join us. We've got Ankit Sarwai, who's partner at MEVP. We've got uh, Patrick Thierry, CEO at EQ2 Ventures, Mark Shahwan, co-founder and CEO at Sarwa, and Yad Latif, partner at Clayton and Watkins. Yeah. Well, thank you guys for joining us uh, today. I'm very excited uh, to cover um, uh, the three core topics today, which range from uh, fundraising to liquidity, my favorite topic, and then exits as well. So, Mark, I'm going to start with you. Uh, and effectively, the question everyone's asking is, how does the current macroeconomic environment affect startups' ability to fundraise? Yes, so as a big of, bit of background, my name is Mark, co-founder and CEO of Sarwa. We've been around for about five years. And the current macro environment, I would say, at the growth stage capital has been more impacted than on seed. A lot of, there was a lot of money that entered into venture in the last few years, and we were just discussing that uh, in the background. So my, my general take on it is if you don't need to raise, spare yourself, the, like spare yourself that activity and manage your runway so that you're in a much stronger position in 18 months or 12 months time as opposed to do that. However, I know, Iyad, you might disagree and say that there's still a lot of rounds being, being made. There's still a lot of activity. So it depends on your activity. And as a founder, I think the main thing that resonated with me was you feel it. If you feel the strong momentum to be able to raise, that's when you should be doing it. When uh, if you find that you could be in a better shape or you're not as confident to go out there, that's where you can put it on pause if you can. Yeah, that's clear. And, and Patrick, I mean, what do you think about this? And I mean, you've been in the ecosystem for a long time. So think about a couple of years ago compared to today and, 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 and how, how things are going. Well, I think there's still a lot of dry powder in the ecosystem, right? So, but the thing is that valuations are back more to what we were seeing five, six years ago on the early stage. Mm -hmm. So we don't see any more those seed stage companies raising at 12 million or above uh, cap on the safe. We're back to where we were five years ago. On the late stage funding, yes, we had a bigger correction, uh, except for companies that are turning profitable and that, that would be more on an IPO route. So those, of course, are attracting a lot of interest these days. Yeah, definitely. Ankit, um, partner at MEVP, we've been here a long time as well. So uh, some people say 2023 is the year of consolidation and M&A. Um, how are you seeing that in the market? Yes, very much so. Uh, thanks, Zuhair, uh, and thank you, Steph, for having me. I think uh, we saw a lot of this happening in 2022. And as I think uh, we'll see a lot more, way more happen in 2023. I think based on just uh, quarter one itself uh, and based on anecdotes from uh, a lot of our portfolio companies on either side of the consolidation spectrum, right? There's, uh, we have a portfolio that touches nearly 60 companies now. So, as you can imagine, there's a few of them which are, which are on the side of being consolidated and are uh, attracting offers. And then there is uh, the other spectrum where some of the companies have gotten large enough to look at uh, acquisition targets themselves. And uh, there is enough anecdotal evidence on both sides 
for me to say that uh, I think uh, there will be a lot of uh, discussions in H1 of this year and a lot of announcements uh, in H2, mm. for sure. Yeah, I'm sure you have a lot to say about this. Yeah, no, I mean, so I, I think there's not one story for the entire ecosystem on this. I think there's, mm -hmm. it's, it's a mixed bag in a, in a good way. There's, I mean, the context is obviously the market was very frothy globally and regionally in 2020 all the way through, you know, a big part of last year. Um, and so inevitably there was going to be some sort of sanity that would come back into the market in terms of valuations. Um, that's point one. Point two is the capital pools are still there, right? There's no liquidity crisis in the market. It's not 2008. And unlike other sources of, of capital around the world, the Middle East is still open for business, right? Whether you're a tech company, whether you're a GP, you know, the, the, the global ecosystem has descended on the region. So the money's still there. Um, where we are as an ecosystem is unlike the rest of the global ecosystem in a good way, in the sense that we still, we still very much are at an inflection point where the value really hasn't, is just now starting to pop. You know, there's a few, do, there's, a, there's a couple dozen companies that have percolated to the top, but the critical mass are people that are entering or just have entered the, the growth stage. And for them, um, it's not a bad time. You know, the, some of them raised huge war chests uh, last year, and they're going to use that huge war chest to make it through winter. Um, and they will buy up their peers. Um, you know, next year when this session happens, I'm sure people will talk about how 2023 was the year of consolidation. Um, the people with the big war chests buying up all their peers in the region, across Africa, South Asia, and, and the year of growth debt, right? People are financing these acquisitions through, through growth debt, what some people call venture debt. Venture debt is just a small piece of a, large, a larger pool of debt that's available to startups. And you're gonna see more, much an exponential growth in, in that type of financing during the current market conditions because those sources of capital pools now see an opportunity to take advantage of the sanity in the market in relation to valuations um, and take advantage of the fact that people want non-dilutive sources of capital to help people A, scale, grow, and make it through the winter. Uh, this is something I, I'm curious about, growth debt and collateralization. What do you use to collateralize the debt, just in, in a minute or less, if possible? Yeah, I'll do it in 10 seconds. Yeah. Um, so value is the short answer, right? right. Um, I, won't, I won't go down a rabbit hole on growth debt. You could have a whole session on that um, and venture debt. It's just something that's now just entering the market. Unlike other more developed jurisdictions, you cannot take an all-asset security. Um, and so the biggest issue on these transactions is collateralizing the value. Um, and there's, there's transactions being baked now that are about to go public in the next couple of weeks. And, and the structures that will come out of those transactions will be the template for how people you know, collateralize value for other tech companies in the region. Okay, yeah. thanks for that. Um, so I, I want to move on to the next topic, my favorite topic, which is secondary transactions and liquidity. And uh, Patrick, I'll just start with you. I mean, uh, our ecosystem's view towards secondary liquidity today, uh, what is it and how do you see it evolving? Well, for any ecosystem, you need liquidity to maintain the expectations of the price level. 
you have people with uh, um, uh, different risk levels, different time horizons, and liquidity and secondary transactions allow them to, to, to match. And through a smart platform like yours, they can actually make it, uh, transact better. Uh, still, the bottom line is that, uh, for me, a good secondary is when you have more buyers than sellers. We don't see so many of those as of now. Uh, it's coming. I mean, like, we don't have such a big portfolio, but last year we had three secondary transactions that took place in, I would say, a balanced way. Uh, I'm afraid that a lot of the transactions we're hearing about are more like at taking place at distressed levels because you just have people who, are, who want to sell and you don't have so many buying so much buying interest. So, yeah, but hopefully all these will go in the right direction this year. And uh, with, with the funding available, that's what we should see. Yeah. Well, Ankit, as a, as a VC as well as a, as a fund, how do you see secondary transactions benefit you from a VC perspective? Well, I mean, we also have a PNL to run. Uh, and uh, the top line of that PNL happens to be everything, every investment that we make uh, and whether we are able to monetize that or not. So typically, um, the best case scenarios would be to ride the company all the way through an IPO, never legs it. But because that market is really shallow in the region, although I think there are efforts to change that, and God willing, uh, that should change. But till the time that doesn't change, one of the key avenues of, uh, of, of any fund generating any sort of uh, liquidity and monetizing uh, any investment that we make is uh, via channels of a secondary exit. So they are core to us. Uh, thankfully now, I think uh, most of the people at least uh, or institutions around us, which includes our LPs as well, uh, uh, by the way, they now understand uh, that the, the purpose behind this and they see the value in uh, maybe entering uh, these secondary transactions. So I think it's becoming more and more palatable to, uh, to family houses, some local limited partners as well. And they see the reasons why we, we at times have to market some of these secondary opportunities. So they'll continue to be a core, I think, till the time the public markets become active in the region. And till that time, we'll continue to sort of talk openly about it. Sure. Yeah, Mark, I know you have a story on secondary, if you're happy to share. Can you just, you know, as a founder, you've, you've had, uh, you know, how did that uh, impact you overall and your journey today? Yeah, of course. So... In our Series B, basically, we, we had a, an oversubscribed round and we didn't really know how to deal with some of the investors that previously had committed. We had said okay to and we, we had to say you have to reduce your allocation, etc. And one of our investors, uh, 500 Global, so who's based in the US and I don't think it's a, it's a coincidence, he said that, you know, one, they, they often do secondaries actually so that the incentives of founders and VCs are aligned. And his view was to have uh, some key, some team members or open it up to uh, the management team or founders that wanted to take advantage of it so that the, what you start to build is aligned with a VC that's trying to 10x their investment. And what that can, what that can do is that it can align so that as a founder, you don't take, you don't prioritize the first deal you get as a potential M&A, especially in the context where we are seeing the data that it takes more than a decade on average to lead to an exit. So I think whether it's for angels, for founders, it's I'm very pro-secondaries given 
of course, it's a life-changing amount of money for uh, for someone that can do that, and it can align the incentives with the rest of the shareholders. And uh, yeah, you're you're extremely close to this. You see all transactions almost. What are your thoughts here? Yeah, I mean, I think you know, zooming out on secondaries, the best way to think about them is your equity is currency, right? And that currency, like monopoly money, means different things to different people. Um, and it can be used by different portions of the cap table in a very strategic way. And it's much more important in our region, maybe, you know, than, than others, because where we are now in terms of the trajectory of the ecosystem is that the paths to liquidity more broadly are finite for different reasons. Um, and so the reason why A, secondaries are hot, B, secondaries are necessary, and, and C, secondaries are the future for our ecosystem is because from a founder perspective, it's a great way for you to achieve quick liquidity. If you look at the vast majority of the startups that are doing well, um, a lot of the founders have used secondaries to achieve liquidity because life happens, right? So that's useful in the immediate sense for founders. It's useful for founders in relation to uh, participants in your plan for stock option incentivization because, again, you know, a lot of cynicism you hear are, where are the exits, where are the exits? How do I incentivize participants in an ESOP with an exit-only plan when there's not as many exits here as the rest of the world? Secondaries is the answer to that. So it's a very useful tool for founders to allow participants in the plan to achieve liquidity and cash in some of that value at different junctures. The added overlay to that is that the startups that are doing well, and there's a ton that are doing well, their rounds are oversubscribed, right? And so back to the currency point, and this is to what, what, what Mark was mentioning, you can use that currency strategically in the context of a round to clean up the cap table, right? Um, because again, even some VCs need to achieve liquidity that came in early. You'll allow them to achieve liquidity by entering the secondary market in the context of a round, in between rounds, funds have different horizons. And so that's a very lucrative off-ramp. It's also a great way to police the cap table, right? When people want, want to leave, um, it allows you to use their, their exit as an opportunity to be strategic in terms of bringing in somebody that there's no room for them uh, in, in a round or in between rounds. So, you know, it's something that has caught fire in our ecosystem. Um, it's also caught fire elsewhere around the world. There's platforms like Carta X. Um, and so, you know, I think it's something that's going to be, uh, it's, it's a land grab now. Um, and so it's going to be, you know, two years from now, it's going to be, everyone's going to know what it is. Everyone's going to be using it. I mean, I, I, I still see this today when a secondary offering is taking place, no matter what the company is, the question we, you know, we get asked a lot is what's wrong with the company or why is the seller selling? Okay. So does anyone want to chime in on, you know, how would you change that? Right. Again, I think the best secondaries <laughs> take place during primary rounds where instead of increasing the valuation of the company and the size of the round, the founders say, listen, I don't need more than that. So if you want as a strategic investor to get more, you need to buy out my early investors, maybe part of my shares as well as a founder. And that's, for me, these are the best secondaries we've seen in the region. We don't see enough of them again, but hopefully we, we have learned from the last two years where some companies probably overraised, so because they were very fashionable and they actually burned more money than they should have. And we have a few names in mind probably. 
but uh, yeah, and this, it would have been much more healthy for the ecosystem to exit some early investors. They would mm. have reinvested the money in, in other early stage startups. Uh, so that's part of the learning process, I think, here. No, I think uh, uh, timing-wise, uh, Patrick is right. It's always uh, works well for everybody if they are timed uh, simultaneously with a large uh, sort of fundraise. And then it's easy to sneak in 20% of the round, especially if oversubscribed uh, into secondary. And by the way, uh, I'll give you a small anecdote without taking any names. This company wanted a certain valuation. They wanted to hit a number in this fundraise. Okay. And the offer came back saying, okay, I'll give you the number, but my diluted enterprise needs to be way short than that. So find me secondaries. And then the founder went around town collecting a whole bunch of secondaries, oh, yeah, deeply discounted, but the round happened. So I think that's why timing wise, a large fundraise is the perfect point of uh, exit. Right. The, the thing I will add is when we lived that scenario, I did find even in, a, in that setting over oversubscribed round, there is still that mentality that I want you, I want the team to be hungry, to be uh, suffering and a bit of a carrot and stick mentality. Mm -hmm. And that I think, I've heard that changing that. Yeah. So I think it's also a mindset of, um, of, or the culture, and there's no, I don't think it's right or wrong if a partner believes that. It's their fund, it's their, their philosophy. It's more, you'll find VCs that have different view and we'll, we should respect either. Sure. Yeah, I mean, I think the, re the, the reason why there's a mixed bag in terms of viewpoints is because it's still wet cement in terms of how people approach secondaries, when is the right time, when is the wrong time, what is the right price? How do I how do I price it? What what value uh, valuation do I ascribe to it? Do I apply a discount? How much is that discount? That is still very much a moving target. And so, because some people in the ecosystem have been bitten on the wrong end of that pendulum, um, they have strong opinions, right, for or against secondaries. Um, but I think as the market matures and it is maturing you will start to see companies understand how to use them uh, in a more conventional way that's customary from a global perspective, when to do them. Um, like I said, investors have different horizons, right? They, they raise at different points. It may be fund one, it may be fund seven. People have different trajectories in terms of when they need to achieve liquidity. And, um, you know, com companies can use that to their advantage to be strategic, um, and I think once the market stabilizes in terms of how people approach pricing secondaries, you'll see a lot of the detractors kind of calm down a bit um, and some of the, the fake news will go away. Fair enough. And um, um, Ankit, you guys are, have raised, you know, you're raising your fourth fund, right? Yeah. Uh, you've, again, MEVP has been here for quite a while. You've seen a few cycles um, and, you know, uh, what are LPs telling you now that you're raising your fourth fund? Is it, where are my returns or how are they going to come? Or are their expectations starting to be a bit more um, uh, understandable? Uh, first of all, I, maybe we saw cycles individually in our own careers elsewhere, but I think this is truly the first cycle uh, for the Middle East tech space. I don't think there was, we really saw cycles before this. Okay. So, mm -hmm. and by the way, those questions... Uh, that you're alluding to LPs, these are standard questions every time you raise a fund. So they're not different this time around, but I think 
I think everybody is sort of uh, marked mark to market their portfolios to what happened in 2020, right? A whole lot of capital went in, valuations went in, all portfolios got uh, marked up. And I think uh, the questions now sort of center more around that, that if in case there is a overhyped market, uh, a, a market that stops being sensitive to price, how do you balance portfolio? How do you distribute capital? Mm -hmm. And uh, and that's why I think what we've done is looked inwards a little and uh, sort of considered what is dry powder, what is wet powder, how much of that could truly be attributable in a worst case scenario to saving portfolio, preserving the value you've created already to creating new value. So most of the LPs want to see a scenario planning around that you know, when, when things, when the times are not in your favor and how do you rebalance, how do you reassess uh, the portfolio rather than address their concerns through a return, uh, through a return sort of a lens. Most of it, I think, is purely from the point of view of what happens to the portfolio and how do you preserve value. And then, sorry, Patrick. No, I think, yeah, I think yeah. what we've learned with MEVP actually, because my first investment when, when we launched a corporate VC was to place a ticket with MEVP to learn. Yeah. What we've learned, I think, with them, and it takes time to build a big company. And it takes more time also to, to sell it in a market where you don't have the network of private equity funds you have in mature markets like Europe and the US. As long as we don't have those private equity players in the region, I think it's going to take a while. Liquidity, I mean, exits will be limited to strategic consolidation moves, strategic investor, IPO for some. We're going to have more IPO cases, hopefully, in the next two years. But that's where I would challenge a little bit the, the time horizon of a VC, eight years plus one plus one. Sometimes it's not enough to get your money yeah. back. And, and actually, we haven't got our money back. We're fine because we're long-term value investors. I think the ecosystem has to understand that, uh, especially as long as you don't have these, uh, these buyers, the private, equi private equity funds. Uh, there, there are around uh, hurdle rates now, by the way, as well. So look, I think, yeah. uh, but we are also unlocking a new category of uh, limited partners. What I mean by that is a new category of family offices, a new category of potential in uh, fund of funds are also entering the space. So there's action on both sides. There's a huge uh, sort of movement on the kind of institutions we are attracting to our funds. And the older ones who know the play a little bit, their questions are far more nuanced. So, you know, it's the job of a fund manager. You address both the spectrums and you yeah. just move on. And Mark, do you find some investors in, 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 in Sarwa are knocking on your door saying, where's the exit? Um, what type of investor are these people? <laughs> Actually, no. I think we're still maybe in. I know we haven't done that. Yeah, no, I don't. We don't like generally. I would tell you. Um, I think we have some angels that got in way, way earlier. That, as you said, given the macro, would have would would be more open to that. But we have yet to see that come in inbound. Luckily. Um, yeah. I, because the reason I'm saying luckily is because you want to time it as part of a as part of a round, so yeah. the timing is really key to do that. Yeah, I mean, I think I think the thing to add to this is that there is, I think, an an inordinately large focus on exits. I think in our in our ecosystem that's unwarranted. I think people, you know, we always advise people to kind of mm. 
slow your roll a bit, take a step back, and particularly with VCs where we focus a lot of our attention on this spiel, is I think you know in order to kind of create the value proposition that you want for your LPs, I think what we advise people is you know focus on focus more on building companies that will that will live, particularly through the current market conditions, because you know if you push too hard too quickly for an exit, um, then the company will quickly fail, right? Um, and there's there's precedent for that in our ecosystem where people will, were pushed too quickly to, towards an exit when they shouldn't have, and as as a result, they just completely fell off of a cliff. And so I think where the focus should be at this point in the kind of ecosystem trajectory is not on exits, um, is on how do how do we build companies that can withstand not only the winter but survive beyond in whatever form that they that they do survive. Um, because mm -hmm. having that operational focus from an investor perspective is what founders need, to be honest. Um, they, in order to kind of take the ecosystem, which is at a, you know, a really solid inflection point to the next level where everyone wants to see it go, um, you need to see more operational focus from the VCs on the, on the tech company boards where they sit, um, because that will, and then the exits will just flow from there, right? Because if you build solid companies that can withstand time, um, that will uh, make it through tumultuous market conditions. Um, the the you know if you build it, they will come, right? Um, as opposed to kind of focusing on what's not here. I think we should work with the ecosystem that we have and the macroeconomics that we have, um, rather than kind of ruminate on what we want. And I just want to use this to jump on to exits. Um, and uh, I mean, what are you guys seeing in terms of companies prepping for exits from now? Or is it something that's been pushed down because of the current economic climate? Uh, were there plans for exits that have been put aside? Uh, just a bit of touching on that would be interesting. Yeah, I mean, luckily the SPAC craze is, is now over, um, which is good for the planet Earth. Um, and so, but, but you know, the, the capital markets in the region... Are, are still very active, right? And so, um, you know, that's why everyone saw the Saudi Unicorns program get, get launched last, last week or this month at Leap. Um, you know, you're going to see plenty of high-quality founders list in Saudi here um, in, the next, in the next two, three years. Some of them are starting this year. Next year will be a watershed for the people that were given the ability to rise during the... the um, the current market conditions, because the salt, you know, the, the plurality of the ecosystem are solid people that will come out of this storm stronger. Um, and so, you know, there a, a, a big portion of them will 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 list, um, you know, primarily here and in and in Saudi. And uh, Patrick Ankit, are you seeing your portfolio companies also prepare for exits? Yeah, actually, quite honestly, we work very closely with the the ecosystem in, in Abu Dhabi. And uh, they're very open-minded about what should be the targets in the next two to three years of potential IPO candidates. So we're working with the with the uh, with that team uh, very closely. But uh, I still think that you know, uh, just sort of anchoring an exit to purely an IPO scenario is just yeah. We talk a lot about IPOs. What about M and A, for example? That's exactly. a good exit. Precisely. Yeah. And unfortunately, I think what the market truly lacks here is the equivalent of a, for example, a Google or a Microsoft 
or even a Facebook where traditional tech strategic M&A can, can take place, right? And, uh, but that's true for everywhere around the world. I think in India, what's starting to happen is a lot of these unicorns are now starting to absorb a lot of these equal value plays. And, uh, and I think before we get to that IPO stage, uh, there's a lot of value in sort of these well-funded startups or well-run startups to actually, you know, invest more time, more energy, more space in, uh, in looking at the m and space. Yeah. Yeah, I think we have to admit that we're quite lucky here in this region to have capital markets that are getting ready, that are taking the right steps. And on the other side, you have startups that are turning, I would say, massively profitable. So it's, it's going to be a win-win, and we're going to see those transactions happen. Again, what I would like to see is we have a lot of early-stage VCs that are chasing the same target. So this there is dry powder to have more diversified ways of say, diversified exits you're going to need more private equity funds. And I really hope that this, is, this comes at some stage in the region. But the private equity funds will never offer you the terms that you want. <laughs> it's not going to be the best. First thing they'll do is put, up, put, IPO, put Probably, though, I mean, some of the SPAC IPOs, I think, have been disappointing in terms of actual you know, value. I mean, we know Tell something about, about that. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, it has to happen. Okay, well, time's up. So thank you, everyone, for joining us today. It's very interesting. I look forward to continuing this discussion more and more all the time. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed the episode. You can find our content on Enrami, Spotify, and Apple Podcast. Follow us on social media at Step Conference and let's stay in touch.